Welcome to Renegade Inc. If there is one thing the world has learned during the latest American election jamboree, it's that the US is far from the world's greatest democracy. But regardless of whether the White House is red or blue, what is certain is that America will continue attempts to spread her version of democracy around the world. Doug Henwood, welcome back to Renegade Inc. Oh, thanks for having me. So you must be delighted. You've got the uh, 46th uh, Commander-in-Chief, Mr. Joe Biden, President Biden now. Uh, he surely will right the ship. He'll get uh, America back on track, won't he? Uh, and uh, nothing to worry about. Uh, yeah, you know, right. Um, that's one. One certainly hopes that. Uh, but, you know, I, I, uh, I have to say I'm not in love with Joe Biden, but I am really glad to see uh, Trump go. Um, but, you know, um, the United States had a whole lot of problems before Trump came into office. He made them worse, but I'm not sure that Biden has the formula to make them better. So um, it's like, um, you know, the relief you feel after you stop beating your head against the wall or having your head <laughs> beat against the wall, you know, where you may not recover from the concussion for a long time. Is it the case now, though, um, because of the way uh, America has been managed really since Reagan uh, and the economics that uh, the, you've uh, peddled, that anybody coming into this office of the president is going to have a very difficult time trying to A, heal the nation and B, turn its fortunes around economically. Oh, it's a disaster. I mean, the, the society is so polarized, so broken, um, everything physically and socially um, so ragged and uh, on the verge of collapse that uh, I don't know that Jesus Christ himself could uh, fix things here at this point. And uh, like I said, it's a relief to be rid of Trump, but God knows, you know, there were just so many problems before this all started. Uh, and the, the, the fact that Trump almost won, that he same, came so close to winning after having mismanaged COVID so badly, um, that uh, it just it stuns me that um, he's got that kind of support among the population. And the cult around him um, is just an appalling thing. So, yeah, we've got some really very, very serious problems, and I don't really see them uh, fixed. Uh, easily. Uh, Biden is talking about cooperation and bipartisanship uh, with a party that wants to destroy him. Uh, so I just don't know that he understands the gravity of the situation. Anybody around him understands it or uh, that uh, at this point, any of this stuff is fixable. The whole uh, jamboree was really underwhelming, uh, you know, from looking afar. I mean, the Democratic performance, uh, you know, to nudge Trump out only just was um, anemic at best. You know, you've got two guys now uh, with a combined age of over 150 uh, fighting for this office. Uh, younger generations understandably look up and think, my God, what sort of leadership is this? Uh, how, how on earth um, do you begin to re-engage people politically who have been so, as you say, polarised by this uh, wanton campaign, really? Well, I'd say a couple of things. One, the fact that we have such gerontocratic leadership. And I don't want to be ageist. I'm certainly no youth myself. So I'm, I don't know. They're about a decade older than I am or more. But still, you know, um, the, the fact that we have such gerontocratic leadership, um, I think symbolizes very effectively the ossification of the entire American political structure. Um, it's almost like they're the physical embodiment of this, this ossification. Uh, there are some really lively younger forces. The, the left of the Democratic Party, the Democratic Socialist of America now just passed 80,000 members. We, I should say, I'm a member, uh, are on a recruiting drive trying to get 100,000. Um, we elected a whole bunch of candidates, a couple to Congress, but more importantly, to city councils and state and local uh, governments. So, yeah, there is some liveliness, uh, particularly in the left wing of the Democratic Party. There are a lot of ideas there, a lot of energy and a lot of youth. 
But, uh, you know, the mainstream of the Democratic Party um, is run by Nancy Pelosi, who's 80, who's very good at her job, but, you know, she is sort of, uh, uh, you know, very much in the old school. Biden, who's, what, 77, also very much of the old school, a relic of a very different era. Uh, the Republican Party now, um, as Trump is shuffles towards or is nudged towards or is dragged out the door, or whatever is going to happen to get rid of him on January 20th, that Mitch McConnell runs the Senate, is, is certainly you know well into his 70s, um, and he's going to block everything. So we have these uh, petulant old guys um, and confused old guys and, and uh, just a really rotten underlying political structure. It's a total mess. Joe Biden, uh, it looked to me, didn't really know where he was throughout that campaign. I'm sure he knows where he is now. Uh, this is a real worry for a man who's going to uh, oversee the nuclear biscuits. Yeah, I mean, people say that. I think he's always been a bit this way. And people say he's got advanced dementia. My mother had advanced dementia. I watched what it looks like. Uh, Joe Biden is certainly not there. But, you know, the guy is, even in his best times, doesn't seem like the brightest Porsche lamp on the block. Um, and the people around him, he's got some good people around him. I actually know a couple of his economic advisors um, reasonably well, and uh, they're good. But then, you know, it's a lot of it's just the same old tired Democratic figures, especially in the foreign policy side. It's going to be the idea of a return to normalcy in the foreign policy side is a frightening thing. Because uh, Trump, for all his um, problems, um, was at least not eager to start any wars. He was certainly um, had liked to rattle the saber, um, but that's more tough guy talk than anything else. Um, so I don't know if we get Susan Rice or people like that back, you know, it's just going to be the same old national security establishment. So it's just, it's just it's, I think a lot of Democrats thought all we need to do is get rid of Trump and get back to the status quo ante and everything will be okay. Uh, that just the idea of going back to the status quo ante, which it has some appeal. I mean, there's something slightly appealing about the calming presence of a neoliberal technocrat rather than this, this you know, chaotogenic character who's been running the show for the last four years. I can understand the appeal of that, but it's not so great, you know. I mean, it's, like I said, it's like the feeling you get when your head is no longer being beaten against the wall, but there's still a lot of damage to deal with. Before we come to the foreign policy uh, stuff, let's uh, just talk about the economics. It seems to me Joe Biden is in the pocket of Wall Street. Uh, a neoliberal through and through. Is that a fair summation of him? Uh, especially uh, when we look at his voting record, he was very, very keen to uh, ring fence the bankruptcy laws to ensure that all students had to pay back monumental amounts of debt. Yeah, well, you know, his home state, of course, uh, Delaware was the headquarters of a lot of uh, credit card companies for legal reasons, tax shelter reasons, regulatory reasons. Uh, so he was often referred to as the uh, the senator for MBNA, which was a, a big uh, credit card issuing bank in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, so he had a very, very close relationship with uh, the creditor class, uh, very much a uh, a creature of Wall Street, very Wall Street friendly. Uh, famously, as you said, the bankruptcy legislation, which he had a hand in. Wall Street, I think, is pretty happy with the results. Um, they like the tax cuts that Trump brought in. Uh, the fact that McConnell will probably control the Senate means that there won't be any tax increases that's going to, that are going to cramp their style. Uh, so they're pleased. They like divided government because it can't do anything. Uh, Biden was saying some good things about a Green New Deal. It wasn't exactly the Green New Deal that uh, Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Markey had introduced, but it was large and pretty good. Uh, and that's now impossible because McConnell won't let that go through the Senate. The big infrastructure program he's talking about, which was related to that, uh, that probably won't go through the Senate either. Uh, some kind of large COVID relief package, which would have helped state and local governments, which are in dire straits right now. Uh, that probably won't go through either because of McConnell. So um, Biden's instincts themselves are not uh, 
at all uh, appropriate to the situation, but then he's going to be blocked by the Senate. Uh, and the fundamental problem here uh, is the 18th century constitution we run under, everything about it, the electoral college, the insanity of caring about what some county in Florida thinks uh, as being crucial to the, uh, the, the election of the president. Um, it's just the most undemocratic and bizarre thing, but you know, that, that constitution is a relic of an 18th century property owning class. Much of that property was human beings. Uh, and we really haven't moved beyond that. We, we have this divided government and this crazy, creaky electoral system. And uh, this really is the failure of that entire model coming to fruition to a really foul tasting fruit. But you've got one of the best democracies in the world, we're told. <laughs> Compared to what? You know, um, there's something uh, appealing about the, the simplicity of a parliamentary system. Uh, you know, I know the British system, uh, what is it called? Uh, almost a parliamentary dictatorship or something, right? That, uh, <laughs> that the, the central government has enormous, enormous power. Um, sometimes I envy that. We have this, you know, crazy federal system where uh, the, the states are, and, and localities are very, very important. With Trump in office, having some sane governors did uh, result in some sane COVID policies at the state level. But you know, the, the whole system is just utterly bankrupt. It's finished. It's broken. It, the whole thing is designed to be nearly impossible to amend. And uh, uh, it, it, we're, we're there. We can't really change the system. We can't really get rid of the Senate, which is an undemocratic excrescence. We can't really get rid of the Electoral College, which is also an undemocratic excrescence. So here we are uh, with this crazy uh, system that likes to think of itself as a model to the world. Uh, seems to me a model of not how to do things. When we look around the world, whether it be Venezuela, uh, Iran, whether it be uh, rising power in the East, China, uh, and also the NATO expansion plans, which we know are always uh, in the back of every uh, American politician's mind. Um, we uh, look at a potential tinderbox. Um, when we come to foreign policy, how does Mr. Biden conduct himself, keeping in mind that he was a huge advocate of Iraq and that invasion? Yeah, I mean, he's very, very conventional. He'll do whatever the foreign policy establishment wants. And it's funny, late in his uh, term, Obama and his aide, Ben Rhodes, were starting to complain about that foreign policy establishment. They call it the blob. The blob, you know, wants to intervene. The blob mean, wants to be uh, resolute and tough and do all those things that a president is supposed to do. You know, Obama didn't really act on that very much, but you know, he did give us the Iran deal. There were rumors that early on in his presidency, he wanted to reset the U.S. relationship with Israel. Um, that, of course, didn't happen. But um, at least um, perhaps the idea crossed his mind. I don't think the idea has even crossed Biden's mind. Um, so I think he's just going to go back to kind of classic democratic hawkish um, politics. Um, more likely to engage, as they say, which means uh, put us at risk of, of war. Um, the country really doesn't want any kind of war. I'm sure of that. I think there's a whole lot of uh, consensus. You know, we may be divided in many other things, but I don't think people want another Iraq war. Um, but if you know the, the foreign policy establishment sub says something, I imagine uh, Biden's going to do it. I mean, uh, the, the people of the Council on Foreign Relations will probably be back in the driver's seat after uh, being in exile during the Trump years. Terrifying for the rest of the world, isn't it? Because we've seen uh, American foreign foreign policy over many, many years now. Uh, and uh, you've left a, as a nation, a trail of destruction, as have the Brits, uh, all around the place. Uh, uh, if he owes favours, if he and people like Susan Rice um, uh, and others uh, owe favours to the military industrial complex, maybe those uh, favours are going to be called in uh, and we have another Iraq, Libya, 
uh, or Syria on our hands. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get anything in the, the magnitude of the Iraq uh, insanity. But, you know, the Libyan operation was Hillary Clinton's baby. Um, she really pushed that very hard. Uh, and, um, you know, I think I can imagine we'd see things like that around the world. Uh, it was remarkable to see uh, the deterioration and competence of the U.S. government. They couldn't overthrow Maduro. And they put up that, you know, really almost comical coup uh, uh, with uh, Guaido. In, in charge and just failed utterly. So yeah, that's a, that's a cheering possibility that the United States no longer has the competence to mount a proper coup or, or, or you know, proper insurgent uh, kind of action. But the, 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 a big picture influence that's going to affect everything uh, going forward from here is the relative decline of the U.S., uh, and the rise of China. And you know, Trump prosecuted his, his dislike of China with unusual fervor because he just really doesn't like Chinese people. He's just a racist pig. Uh, that, I don't think, you know, you, you can't say the same about Biden, but they, you know, there was something going on there. Um, the the technical, technological rivalry, uh, China's a much more serious technological rival to Silicon Valley than it ever was in the past. As a political and military power, you know, China does not yet have the cultural influence that the U.S. does, but, you know, um, partly for linguistic reasons, I guess, but the rest of U.S. power is eroding um, remarkably. And I don't see the United States declining with the graciousness that the British Empire declined. Um, it's going to, it could be very, very ugly uh, and uh, just lashing out in very irrational ways, provoking conflicts with the Chinese just to prove that we're, we're not uh, the washed up old champion anymore. Um, but we are the washed up old champion. It would be nice if we could just retire from this world dominating role graciously and uh, let uh, a multipolar world bloom. But that doesn't seem to be the American way. And I fear that uh, Biden is going to be want to be the one to uh, to try to uh, reassert American power uh, and just uh, give the national security establishment whatever it wants after um, the years in the wilderness under Trump. Doug Hanwood, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. Ariel Gold, welcome to Renegade Inc. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, we talked to Doug Hemwood in the first half of this program, uh, and we finished by talking about America's foreign policy. Uh, he uh, is worried uh, about uh, the uh, potency of the military, uh, the uh, strategic thought that goes on in the uh, corridors of power now. What do you uh, worry about? What keeps you awake when you think about Joe Biden as the um, 46th commander in chief? Well, first of all, I, I just want to congratulate everyone in America. I think so much of America and so much of the world breathed a sigh of relief on Saturday night as we voted out fascism. We're still dealing with Trump trying to enact a coup to remain in power, and we have a lot to deal with on that end. But all of that aside, we are moving towards a Biden presidency, and that is relieving. Now, on the other hand, what Biden has promised us, the American people, what he has promised us during his campaign is a return to normal. But normal is the problems that we know all too well of neoliberalism. Normal is a bloated Pentagon budget. Normal are endless wars. Normal is corporate control of so much of the American politics. Normal is an inf a massive infusion, as we see during every election, of money in politics. So normal is uh, not something 
to look forward to. Among the other concerns about Biden are some of his uh, track record. Biden was vice president when the war in Yemen started with U.S. support. That was the Obama-Biden administration. And that's something that we really need to see change in a Biden presidency. By not going back to normal, how then do you begin to speak to somebody, Mr. Biden, who is a Washington insider through and through? How do you begin to change his mind? Because if, as you say, you look at his voting record, he's been involved uh, militarily in all sorts of unsavory dealings. Uh, and persuade him that actually this isn't the way to go. This is a multipolar world now. Uh, and uh, America, from where I'm sitting, can't really get its own domestic affairs uh, in line. It doesn't have the seat at the table that it thinks it has to be world policemen. Well, one of the encouraging things about Biden being a seasoned neoliberal politician is that he does follow the rules of the game. And the rules of the game are that we have avenues to pressure him. And these are avenues that uh, Donald Trump just threw out the window at every turn that he could. So there were some very encouraging things about the 2020 election that just took place. Um, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the representative in Congress has been pointing out, not a single sitting member of Congress who endorsed Medicare for all lost their reelection bid. And that's within Democrats having lost a number of seats in the House in this election. We have some new and fabulous progressives coming into Congress, such as Black Lives Matter activist Cori Bush and um, progressive incoming member of the squad, Jamal Bowman. What we've seen um, over the past few years and what, we're, what we saw in this recent election is that some things have dramatically changed, especially when we look at the struggle for Palestinian rights. It is no longer um, an automatic lose for a candidate to support Palestinian rights and to openly criticize Israel even to endorse the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, or to call for U.S. military assistance to Israel to be conditioned. Now, this was not the case just a few years ago, and it is now, and so we will have these members of Congress to put pressure on Biden, this very, very necessary pressure, and Biden has seen some of this pressure already. So during his campaign, he has um, promised, during the campaign, he did promise to pull the U.S. involvement out of the war in Yemen. And that's something that we at Code Pink, along with many anti-war, peace, progressive, and social justice organizations, are already beginning to put pressure on Joe Biden to follow through with his campaign promise to end U.S. support for the war in Yemen. And we are also geared up and ready to go to make sure that Biden gets us back into the Iran nuclear deal. So when um, you are uh, campaigning and fighting the headwinds, and there are many of them, not least uh, favors owed uh, by politicians to the military industrial complex, the lobbyists, uh, the fact that America sees war as a business uh, how do you get the cut through um, to, and is there an increasing awareness amongst the electorate to say, actually, we've had enough of this reckless uh, foreign policy, but how do you get the cut through to make sure elected officials act on what you're saying? 
So one of the interesting things is that all candidates now are quite aware that the American people are sick and tired of these endless wars. We saw Donald Trump try to frame himself during the election as the anti-war candidate because he recognized that the American public are sick and tired of these endless wars. Where we've had some incredible success is in the War Powers Resolution, which says that um, Congress must approve um, any U.S. military involvement. And we passed the War Powers Resolution through both chambers of Congress, a bipartisan resolution. Now, Trump vetoed that in 2019, but we have every expectation that Biden, on the other hand, will put his signature on that and that we can get that accomplished very early um, in the Biden presidency. What we do to push for this type of legislation is we launch campaigns for uh, constituents to call and email their representative and their senators and tell them how they need them to vote and what legislation they need them to support. Um, Jens Stolenberg, head of NATO, he uh, must be quite happy that Biden's in because of his uh, track record. Uh, NATO expansion is never too far away from uh, the discussion table. Uh, and of course, it's the bogeyman Russia that uh, constantly is used as the whipping boy to justify massive military budgets. What do you think will happen uh, under a Biden presidency uh, with uh, Mr. Biden, Mr. Putin, especially when Mr. Biden has incessantly uh, stated that uh, he's the only one who can, quote, tame Putin. Well, we're not just looking now at this U.S.-Russia escalation, but Biden during the campaign tried to out-Trump Trump on hatred towards China, a dangerous escalation and a dangerous Cold War. And this is a real concern. This is going to be a real concern during the Biden presidency. As you said, Biden um, is likely to revert to these, to these same policies that were pursued under the Obama administration. And we as activists, as anti-war activists, we really have our work cut out for us on this issue. It's far past time for America to engage in diplomacy um, with Russia, with China, and of course with the Middle East. And I think that one of the first places that we hope to see diplomacy play out is with Iran. And we hope that that can just uh, taper things down a bit. But we definitely, uh, we at Code Pink, we have a campaign called China is not our enemy to try to push back against some of this rhetoric and prevent this uh, new Cold War from escalating any further. You mentioned that uh, people both sides of the aisle have had enough of America's endless wars. Is there a rift in the imperialist camp uh, between in the, with the neocons, that, uh, those who want to keep going and those who said, actually, no, we've had enough? Or uh, is the group think still strong uh, because these people haven't learned from their epic errors in the past? Unfortunately, I would have to say that these people have not learned much from their epic errors in the past. Uh, the War Powers Resolution is a crack in that, where we do have um, some change taking place in the Republican Party. They, we do have support for the War Powers Resolution. You know, this was an interesting part about Trump, who did recognize that America was sick of these endless wars. And uh, sometimes when Trump would talk about pulling our troops out, now I want to recognize that Trump talked about ending these endless wars, but he didn't actually end this endle these endless wars. But when he would talk about that, 
both the Republicans and the Democrats would push back against him. And that's something that we really need to change. It's both parties that we need to get on board uh, with a more peaceful future, with cutting the Pentagon budget, and with ending these militaristic uh, endeavors. Is it the case that uh, the world now looks at the US and says, you know what, your uh, house is in such disorder, there's no way that you can come around and lecture us on democracy and freedom, when actually you've got so many internal problems, go home, sort your house out, then we can sit down and talk about how we partner. Well, absolutely. America's house is not just in disarray, but very much on fire in terms of climate catastrophe, in terms of how divided we are as a country, in terms of uh, the racism and hatred that we've seen rise. And one of the concerns is that while we may have voted out Donald Trump at this moment, we had over 70 million Americans vote for him, vote for the types of policies, the types of hatred, the types of open racism, the attacks on media, uh, false claims, and right now even an attempted coup, this is far from over. We're gonna have to continue to um, deal with this during the Biden presidency and then afterwards. We have so much work to do at home and we really need to be directing our resources to the problems that we have at home. Will the United States of America remain united or will it end up east, west and the rest? The United States right now is an incredibly divided country, but it's very divided within east, west and the rest. Um, I myself live in upstate New York and upstate New York is a largely red area, uh, largely Donald Trump supporting area. So we we have to deal with these problems. It's not about separating them. It's about reaching out to the change the hearts and minds of Americans. It's about overcoming our racist settler colonial past and forging a new future built on diplomacy, on human needs, and on finally giving up our militaristic intentions. At Code Pink, you're very, very good at interrupting warhawks who are making regime change type statements. Uh, Who's been your favorite to interrupt so far? Because we love the videos. Oh, so hard to, to choose a favorite. You know, Elliot Abrams. Just yes. Uh, a vile, uh, convicted criminal as well as a war criminal. How dare you impose economic sanctions that harm the people of Venezuela? How dare you? And I, I thought of him immediately because he was just in Israel a couple days ago trying to prevent the United States from being able to get into back into the Iran nuclear deal. Um, and he's in charge of both Iran and Venezuela right now. I cannot wait to see him go. Happy to say that we have disrupted him a number of times. Really great work at Code Pink. Keep up uh, the excellent work. And thank you very much, Ariel Gold, for being with us at Renegading. Thank you so much for having me on.